Well, good morning. We'll be looking at a letter from the Apostle Paul, who was a man that, that was a brilliant young scholar who loved the Torah law, but he hated Christians. He hated them so much that he rounded them up and either put them in prison or he murdered them. Uh, but now we find years later, he is chained to the Praetorian Guard in house arrest uh, for preaching the gospel. And there was this church in Philippi that he hadn't seen in 10 years. And he is sitting in that prison cell with his companions. One of them is Epaphroditus who was sent from the church because the church was so worried about Paul. And Paul was sitting there in prison. He was more worried about them than they were worried about him. He was like, please don't worry about me. And so he penned this letter. And the warm embrace that I feel from the first a few paragraphs of this letter, he said, I thank God in all my prayers for you. Always in every prayer for you all, making my prayer with joy because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For we are all, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus in all my prayer. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may be able to choose what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Sola del gloria, for the glory of God. So we look in our passage this morning, and did you feel the warm embrace of Paul? We experience life together as a cohesive family, as a community of believers. And you know, Sunday church is big church, but there's also ways to have small church in our Bible studies, in our life groups, in our Sunday life training. There's many groups that you can join. And I have found small church in this large church through my life group. So my son was um, planning his wedding with his young bride, and they were actually married, like, right here. Um, I was able to officiate the ceremony, sign the certificate. However, that was the one day that we had the massive snowstorm in January. Remember it? And so uh, the bridesmaids canceled their trip. Family couldn't come because COVID was, was running among us. And, but I'll tell you what, Nash was going to walk down that aisle in that beautiful dress, no matter what. 
So we postponed it a little bit, but the, the caterer canceled, um, the photographer canceled, and the, the, the sweet, lovely maid of honor somehow braved the storm in her little front-wheel drive sleigh, and the florist was open. She got the, the bouquet. However, she was stuck somewhere between Clifton and Centerville, and I had to get my big old truck and, and go down and rescue her, but we were going to have this wedding ceremony. However, we had no support. We had no guests. Well, I'll tell you what, my life group, they sprang into action. One family, they put on all their Sunday best, and they came and they cooked food, and they served food. We, we remember, we didn't, we didn't have a photographer, and so someone came and did the photos. We didn't have a, a witnesses <laughs> to witness this wedding, and so they were the only guests, really, that were in the seats. And I found you know, throughout the nine years we've been together, even when we moved away for three years, we kept in close contact. Uh, we've rescued children from near-death car accidents. Um, we've taken people to the hospital who has had COVID, um, wondering what's going to happen with their children. Well, we're going to help take care of those children. We pray for each other. We meet. We love each other with the affection of Christ Jesus. If you don't have a life group, that's the sales pitch. That is where you find small church. Well, last week we talked about words matter, and today we're going to talk about prayer matters. And we're going to see it under three headings. One is that we need to pray for a cohesive, gospel-centered partnership. Two, we need to pray for progressive transformation of ourselves and of other people. And three, we need to pray that God develops in each of us deeply held affections for the body of Christ. So partnership, transformation, and affection. We'll start with partnership. Pray for a cohesive, gospel-centered partnership. So when our nation was founded, it was founded by immigrants. It was all kinds of different people coming together in order to make a nation, e pluribus unum, out of the many one. Well, that is the same thing in the church, that out of the many one, we have a diverse group of people, and I ask you to pray for unity amid diversity. We have to have joy in a shared effort. Um, does coming to church bring you joy? You know, the gospel message of Jesus Christ paying for our sins, is the mortar in the bricks of this building. Without the gospel, this building would tumble. It would be worthless. It would fall apart. The gospel is the central focus uh, of everything we do. But does it bring joy when you pull into the parking lot? Do you hear the gospel when you come here and there is no space available for you, and you drive around and you're frustrated but you say, oh, great, I'm partnering in this ministry. I can't even come in the doors. However, that's a good problem to have, right? That's a joy because joy is an inward satisfaction despite all the outward turmoil. So it has to be joy in a shared effort, maybe taking the shuttle. Um, it has to be generous service as well. You know, the church here in Philippi was divided into faction. There were two guys, Eodi and Synthaki, and I don't know what they were disagreeing about, but Paul said, agree in the Lord. Why? Because the gospel message is at stake. 
If there's arguing in the church and disagreement, then the gospel can be damaged. Don't let your emotions take over control when the gospel is at stake. Be partakers in the grace with me. Grace is free. But though in a family we can sometimes have disagreements, right? Do you always get along with your family? No, no. But the more the church serves alongside each other, the stronger the church will be and the more meaningful our relationships will be the more we serve together. Um, So we have to have a generous service. We also have to have a humility of heart. Uh, What if you don't have joy in some of your interpersonal relationships here at church? You know, when we're humble, we are humble enough to see our own flaws in order to have unity with other people. Um, When we have disunity with God... It's easy to have disunity with people, right? But what, and when we have unity with God, we're able to have unity with others. If we have unity with others, we're able to have unity with God. So the gospel is the one thing that can break the curse of disunity. If we have the gospel message and we take that, we don't take it for granted. You know, but forgiveness of other people is sometimes volitional, right? You know, you, you say, I love you, and I forgive you, but I don't like you right now. We're going to disagree. That's going to happen. But the blood of Christ that paid for our sins figuratively flows through our veins, and we're infused with Christ. Uh, you know, the blood of Christ can melt your stone-cold heart for other people. Uh, this is an old Puritan phrase, the same sun that melts the ice, hardens the clay. So you're either going to get softer or harder. The gospel can make you softer. Uh, Paul said, because I hold you in my heart. Isn't that amazing? He, I hold you in my heart. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about gaps in our lives. And we all have gaps. We all have gaps to love other people. Um, and he said this, he said, Christ is therefore standing in my stead at the border of my existence. It is because I'm separate from my true being that Christ stands between me as I am and me as I should be. So what is the burden of proof that the gospel is true in your life? It's a cohesive attitude. It's more, more action than attitude. You have to sometimes fake it till you make it. You know, and a healthy church is a church that prays for and assists and supports and knows one another. Uh, Galatians, Paul wrote, he said, you take care of each other, everybody, especially the household of faith. How do we take care of each other? Uh, If you're a visitor here today, I want you to know that, that you're loved, that we want the fruit of the righteousness of Christ Jesus to flow through us so that we love each other and we can love you. You know, if you, if you think about it, you can say, I can forgive anything because Christ has forgiven of me everything. What can I forgive? And it, it's kind of like nectar, okay? Nectar in a garden. It's sweet. This is our garden. It's sweet. It's beautiful. I love coming to church. It brings me joy. 
But, you know, then there's these hummingbirds and these bees that come into our garden and visit. And then they, they carry that pollen off outside of our fences, outside of our walls, and create other gardens. That's, that's the burden of proof if our love is able to spread into our community and into our families and into the places we work. That's a true test of Christianity. But we're not perfect, right? You know, C.H. Spurgeon, the great illustrator, said, um, Noah fell many times in the ark, but he didn't fall out of the ark. You know, we, we fail all the time. But if, it, if this church was not full of sinners, we wouldn't need a savior, right? What purpose is the church if we don't recognize our own faults? And, you know, even the church staff, they have disagreements. And you know what? It's because we're sinners. But we come and we're partakers of this grace. The problem, like Martin Luther said, is corcuvium in se. Our hearts are curved in upon themselves. And so whenever there's something goes wrong, we curve in upon ourselves rather than curving out to others. And what Paul is saying here is our lives need to be curving out to others, care for their needs more than our own. So this is a hard thing. You know, Jesus said, love God, love other people. That's a hard thing. But you know what? Jesus never gave us a requirement that which the almighty God can't give us power to accomplish. Do you believe that? Do you pray for the unity of our church? Is this something you pray for? Seriously? We need to. That needs to be foremost in our prayers when we come to this church, Lord, bring unity so the gospel can be spread. Uh, I, I love reading uh, Richard Sibbs, and in a small book, um, there is a quote. He said this. He said, where God intends to do any good, he first works in them a gracious disposition, after which he looks upon his own work as upon a lovely object, and so gives them other blessings. God crowns grace with grace. So has God began that work in you? So a man came in to be counseled, and he said, I do not get along with my wife. In fact, I can't stand her. And what should I do? I want to get a divorce. And the pastor said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, the, the, the Bible says you have to love your wife. So go home and love your wife and come back in a week and tell me what's going on. So a week went by, and the guy came back, and he's like, okay, this is really bad. I can't love my wife. I want to at least separate from her. And he said, well, I saw a house for sale down the road. He said, well, why don't you buy that house and, and let your wife move into the house beside you and come back in a week and tell me what's what, how it's going. And so then the man comes back, you know, and he said, Pastor, I can't love my wife, and now I have a terrible neighbor. She's blowing the leaves in my yard, she's throwing parties, and now I not only love my wife, I don't love my wife, I hate my neighbor. And the pastor says, well, Jesus said, love your neighbor. And he said, go back home and see if you can love your neighbor. He came back in a week, he said, I hate my wife, I hate my neighbor. In fact, she's my enemy. Pastor says, Jesus said, love your enemies. 
So you don't get out of it. There's no way to get out of it, all right? So number two in our message today is pray for progressive transformation of yourself and others. You know, this starts with believing the best in people when they do you wrong. It is God that begins the work, God that completes the work, and what God starts, he always finishes. What is the problem? Where is the communication gap? Point one, trust God's work in yourself. The more you believe in the sovereignty and power of God, the more you realize that it's your natural inclination to do the wrong thing. Our faith in Jesus starts with the Holy Spirit opening our hearts, and then we see the wonders of God's grace. Paul said, I am confident of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Salvation starts with a dead heart that is dead to God, that is an enemy of God, and then the precious blood of Christ that was shed infuses that heart, and the heart opens, and God begins a work of salvation in which he takes you as a child, and he brings you through your life until completion. That's the God we have that starts what he finishes, and you're like, okay, where is free will? Well, it's kind of between that, right? God began the work in you, and then in the middle of that, you have the choice to either follow God or follow your sin. Sin promises satisfaction, but it leaves you hollow and empty in the end. You know, love, love God, love others sounds simple, but it isn't, right? We have, we're, we're humans, but, you know, God didn't choose us because of us. He chose us in spite of us. He knows our hearts. But when God began that work, he, he made a holy summons to you. He, he had a subpoena for you. You must show up. And God infused your heart. You believe that Jesus Christ was your Lord and Savior in his work on the cross, in his resurrection, and for eternal life. That's the work that God started. But, you know, we're not robots. We have free will. We have an actionable faith within that. Faith acts. Faith performs what we believe. And the more you love God, the more you believe he's in control, and the more you will love unlovely people. The hardest people to love, Jesus loved. And we're supposed to emulate him. So we have to trust in God's work in our hearts, but we also have to trust in God's work in that of other people's hearts. But, you know, we always fix limits on people. We say they'll never change. Fixing limits on people, according to my Bible, is heresy. When we fix limits on our family members, when we think that they're never going to change, our spouse, our coworkers, that's heresy because right here it says God begins work and he finishes work. God is capable, way more capable than I am. So, uh, you know, and so when you come to prayer, hey, we're talking about prayer. How can you approach the holy throne of God and say, oh yeah, help this person, and you haven't forgiven them? You know, that's, that's approaching the holy throne of God and almost saying a lie to God, a lie from omission. And there was a story in the Bible where... Ananias and Sapphira, they lied in church. 
and it didn't go so well for him, if you remember that story. So the work begins in God. It develops affections in our hearts. And then God performs a miracle within us. We actually can love other people. What a miracle that is, right? Uh, but we have to also trust that what God wills, he will get. God always gets what he wills, right? God's never stumped, never challenged, never uh, changes his mind. And yet we, we that have children who have gone on to be adults or family members that don't know the Lord, we worry about them, right? There are so many people that have, 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 have children that have gone astray as they became adults. I'll tell you what, pray for the riches of God's grace to open to them. When they see the riches of God's grace, God can change them. But you know what? Your best defense, your best argument, your best apologetics will not get them to their knees. But perhaps it'll get you to your knees in order to pray for them. And then God can change their hearts. But we hold grudges with people. It's so easy to hold a grudge. But if you hold a grudge, what? You doubt the judge, right? God is going to judge people. It's God who's in charge of this. He's sovereign. He will bring everything under his control, the scriptures say. No weapon, no weapon formed against me will prosper when I have the Lord. So God's work is not yet completed in us, nor is it completed in others. So we have to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? So if salvation is by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, why do we think we need to figure this out alone? Well, interpersonal relationships can be healed by the gospel. We're not alone in this journey, yet we, try, we often live alone or try to fix things alone. Um, some things you just can't fix. But Paul said this, and I... I think it's, it's so true in people's lives that I've seen change. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Pray for your, those people that don't know the Lord. That's your job. You won't convince them with your words. It's the Holy Spirit that will convince them. Uh, you know, in, in Christianity, there's no pull yourself up by the bootstraps. There's no like, I'm just going to do this. Uh, you're not just a doer. You must depend on the Holy Spirit within every believer because that Holy Spirit is what changed our dead hearts and made them alive with the blood of Christ. And he is the power to move us. But sometimes God's work slower than we'd like, right? We want to be able to um, see people move, see our children move, our grandchildren move, our friends move. But, uh, you know, it's the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. That's what we give to others. We refuse to live at odds with people, and we give them the grace we give them the privilege, our privilege, when we're right, we give that to them and we say, it's okay, it's all right. Um, so I think my wife, oh, I, <laughs> I know my wife believes in me, <sighs> I think. I, 
Well, you know, insecurity here up on stage. I know she loves me. Um, I think she trusts me with the kids. But she went away last weekend, and, uh, you know, it was a women's retreat, and she left me a few instructions, okay? Take Marcus's computer away because he's going to watch YouTube and play games all weekend long, okay? Um, put him in bed on time. What else? Um, feed them. Don't burn the house down. And she skirted away, and there I am Friday, all exhausted. It's about 9 o'clock. We had ice cream for dinner, of course. Um, and uh, we ordered pizza. That was dessert. I actually got anchovies on my pizza because I knew they wouldn't eat it. Don't, don't do that. It's not, not very good. Um, so I, I, I sit in my chair, and it's 9 o'clock, and I fell asleep. And I knew I got to get Marcus in bed at least by 10, and so I'm asleep in my chair. And I wake up at about 11 o'clock. I'm like, oh, no. Where, Marcus, you've been on your computer all night? Uh, okay, I fail one. And then where's the dogs? They're, one of them's usually on my lap. Where do they go? And I go outside, and they're gone. My wife forgot to tell me to keep the dogs in and to close the gate, you know. And, but I, so I went out, and I tried to find them, and I couldn't find them anywhere. And I said, okay, hey, guys, I'm going to sleep in my chair tonight downstairs. I'm just going to leave the doors open, and hopefully they come back if they love me. I love them, but I don't know if they love me. Why would you run away from me if I love you so much and feed you? Um, however, uh, at 1 o'clock, Marcus comes down, and I'm tired, and he wakes me up, and I'm like, uh, what? He's like, oh, Claire's back. Yay, she loves me. And, but Katie wasn't back. About 3 a.m., he came down. Uh, Katie just came back. I'm like, how come you're up? <laughs> when my wife came home, she said, did you take Marcus's computer away? And I completely forgot. He was up all night playing his computer. Um, my wife believed the best of me. And my dogs actually came back. They love me. Um, so sometimes we have family members that we wonder, do you really love me? Do you really care about me? Pray for it. God will bring them back, you know? And, and you have the gospel in your heart. That's the most important thing, to share it with love. Uh, Richard Sibbs, again, a quote where he, he talked about the imago Dei, that we are made in God's image. He said, Oh, let us never think our estate to be so good, except every child of God be our love, um, as he is Christ's love. Can I love Christ and I cannot love him in whom I see? It is a sign that I hate myself when I hate his image. We must love the imago Dei, that people are created in his image. God loves them. Why can't we? Um, so we got to pray for our church, we gotta, for unity. We've got to pray that God continue to do his work in us and others. And number three, we've got to have real love for real people in real situations. We've got to pray that, that God develops a healthy and robust affection in our heart for other people. Uh, we've got to have enough love in our heart to speak the truth so that we can approve what is excellent. Remember love abounding more and more with knowledge and, and all discernment? And we only can do that in community. Community, church. Not just because we're in the community of Burke. This is a community. Um, we have to experience each other so that we can have accountability and we can choose what is excellent. Love experienced in a community is faith demonstrated. 
like Galatians uh, 5, 6 said, faith working through love. We don't gain salvation by making excellent choice, but our faith is proven through experience in the choices we make and those we see in other people. That's how we become deeper in love with God. See, there's this big gap in between God in the beginning of our lives, remember, to the end of our lives. And in that, our hearts must be turned from evil desires. And, you know, there's a scripture that says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. And I I, I think about that all the time. I I know it's easy to be on Zoom. It's easy to uh, just tune in later. And I just asked myself the question, for, for those of you online, I'm so glad that you're, you're listening and you're here, but we need to make sure you're in a community. We need to make sure that you have that accountability so that you can help make, they can help you make the choices which are excellent. But it has to be a supernatural love developed in us. Loving Christians will spread the gospel, and it's apparent to everyone we meet. We, it says we are workers in the harvest field. We're workers in a field that is ripe for harvest. And we do that by the supernatural love that infuses us. Uh, we're not disposed to love, but this passage says that, that true affection comes through Jesus Christ. It's a supernatural affection that God gives us in our hearts in which we can love other people. Uh, you know, Christ is not the measure of love. He's the source of love. Why do I love other people? Because I love my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He loves me, and he told me love other people, it, and he gives me the power to do it. He gives you the power to do it. Christ is not the measure of love. He's the source of love. So loving Christians will spread this. Uh, you know, we, our words don't convert people. You could have the greatest argument for Christianity, and that's not going to convert people. The Holy Spirit converts people. And, you know, the truth is that people who don't know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you know, the the truth of the Bible says they're going to go to hell. And hell is a place I don't want anyone to go. Even my worst enemy, I want them to not go there. And how do they see it? How do they experience it? How do they know that the gospel is true? They see it in you, just like Paul saw it in the Philippian church. He sees it in you. Um, So religious affections. These are affections that aren't normal because our normal love is full of sin. The only way we can truly love people, it must be a supernatural love that God has promised us in the inspired word of God. So will we remember when we're nasty with people when we get to heaven? Will we remember our sins in heaven? Well, the Bible says that in heaven, Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So I assume we're going to remember some things and have sorrow. Will we remember when we don't treat people with love? I think we will. And I think that Jesus will wipe the tears from my eyes for me being such an imperfect person. And 
I'm going to remember those for eternity because every time I think of that sin where I chose sin rather than God, I'm going to remember the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and I'm going to say, you forgave me of so much, more than I could ever imagine. When I get to heaven, I'm going to see how evil the inclinations of my heart really were, and I'm going to feel sorrow. Jesus will wipe the tear, and for the rest of eternity, I'll say, thank you for choosing Why do I get the grace? If you feel that sincere affection of Christ in your heart, and you know that he chose you, he chose you to be one of his children for eternity, I'm going to remember those sins, and I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We're all hypocrites. We don't do what we, we want to do. We don't know, do sometimes what we say we'll do, but I, I'm just so thankful there's grace for the guilty. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of not loving people, and there is grace for the guilty. So, you know, it says that uh, we need to strive to be blameless on the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm still going to have a lot of junk left in my life when Jesus comes or I die. What this means is that we're consistently growing in grace. Are you consistently growing in grace? Well, the Apostles' Creed uh, said it best, I think. Uh, It said, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, meaning the worldwide church of Jesus Christ, the communion of saints. What's next? The forgiveness of sins. Wow. Well, you may say... um, I can be a partner in this. I can do this. I can, I can join a club of people that are really nice. Yeah, hey, I'll join. You may say that, uh, you know, wow, these people really love me and they love other people, you know, but that's not the gospel. Having a really nice place is not the gospel. Um, you can say, I want Jesus to change my life and make it all good, but that's not the gospel. You must confront the person of Jesus, who he is. He's the holy son of God, perfect and sinless. What he did, he came to earth. He died for our sins. He shed his blood, infused us with that blood, and washed our sins away. He rose from the dead, giving us the absolute hope of eternal life in heaven. And what does that mean for me? Well, that means I have to have faith that it's all about Christ. All what Christ did for me, nothing what I can do for him. And he died for me. That's the gospel. We all need the atonement. We all need to be made at one with God, and it's only found through Christ. So that's the gospel. That's how we love each other. That's how we pray for our church. We pray for unity amid diversity. We pray for a growing transformation of our lives and a growing transformation of other people's lives. And we pray for a growing affection other people. We pray for a growing affection for people we don't like. Real people in real situations and real affection. So I wanted to close this morning by just asking you, you know, how are you doing in this? You know, do you strive to love other people? Is the Holy Spirit working in your life so that you, you not only are drawing closer to God, you're growing closer to other people that love God? 
you're, you're, the Holy Spirit is working in your life so much that you know that someone does not know the Lord and you're not trying to force it down their throat and make them get on their knees in agony. No, you're on your knees. You're on your knees praying for that person that God warms their heart, their stone-cold heart, the one that is hardened like clay. You know, do you pray for the Holy Spirit to empower this body of believers. Give us the love we need so that we have a beautiful garden. We have pastries on the patio every week where we're just getting together and we love each other. And then that, that love is, is taken outside our walls, outside our gate. And, and it's taken out in such a way that we infect the community with the love of Jesus Christ. I'm praying for that. Have you asked the Lord to give you a deeper knowledge, a deeper sense of wisdom, the ability to choose what is excellent? That's found in community. That's found in Burke Community Church. That's why I love this place. So I wanted us to do something a little different, you know, as we close the service. I wanted us to pray together. Not just me up here praying. Not everybody praying their own prayers. I wanted to do the Lord's Prayer. I wanted to just give reverence to the words of Jesus Christ that summarize this whole 30-minute sermon, okay? So I'm going to ask you to stand in reverence for the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus taught them how to pray, and he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. And now, may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds. May the supplier of grace infuse us with the love of Jesus Christ. May, may those who are visiting or who aren't quite sure see the sincerity of our lives. Our lives are sincere, but we leak. We're leaky vessels. And Lord, you can use us for extraordinary things. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' powerful, wonderful, and holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.